Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We've got a special show, another special guest this week. we got Bruce Feldman. Uh, does a great job covering college football, breaking a lot of news. We want to talk to him about the state, the bizarre state of college football right now. And Keely Yor is joining me online to talk to Bruce. we got Dan uh, doing a little traveling. So Keely and I are taking over today and we get Bruce on. We'll have him on just a couple minutes. Keely, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm very excited for our next guest. He's always has his his finger on the pulse of things, so I'm sure he'll be insightful. He does have his finger on the pulse of college football. You can listen to his show, The Audible. We'll talk to him about all that kind of stuff. He's got a book coming out, too. First, if you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. Or if you'd rather call or text us, the number is 424 424- 254-9141. Please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or any of the podcasting platforms out there. The five-star ratings really help. And tell a friend. You got a friend that likes USC football. We will be rolling on throughout this offseason, however long it lasts. If the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 play or not, we will still be here each and every week talking about all things USC football. We'll have special guests like we've had on the last couple of weeks. Probably a lot more guest-driven just because we won't have the games and things to talk about, but we do appreciate any kind of uh, reviews you leave for us. It does really help to uh, grow the show. I don't want to put you on the spot, Keith. I don't know if we have any new ones. that have. I'm in. ready for you this time, Ryan. Yes. <laughs> we have a new five-star review from Earl for USC. Now, I can't decide if this is a typo or if he was playing up to your whole leave us a weird comment type of thing. Because he said, Rayon, Anna, his staff are great and keep up the... And keep us up to date on what's going on for USC football. So I think he was trying to write Ryan and his staff, but it just oh. came out as Rayon Anna. So that might be your new nickname. <laughs> I like Rayon Anna. That's good. But it's five yeah. stars. That's all that matters. You can uh-huh, say. Exactly. Yeah. We think you, you guys stink, but leave five stars. And that really helps. It is fine. <laughs> we, we love, we like reading them and we love uh, hearing from all of you. So we appreciate that. Uh, we got a couple uh, voicemails and we got a couple emails to get to. Uh, we'll do that after we talk to our guest, Bruce Feldman, but I want to thank our sponsor Trader Joe's been with us for the last several years and they've been great during the pandemic. I try to go in there, uh, every week. And, uh, again, uh, you know, I made uh, dinner for my neighbor. We had a little social distancing, uh, thing in the driveway and he brought over sublime ice cream sandwiches from Trader Joe's unprovoked. Oh. So those were, I'm like, Hey, we need a little dessert thing. And uh, they are really good. So they got that, the chocolate chips on the outside. I, probably my favorite. I mean, I love desserts, but I think my favorite <laughs> thing is like the ice cream cookie sandwiches. And then really, you add chocolate chips on the outside. Like it's so hard to beat. They're so good. And these are great. Wow. Have you had them? It's probably not gluten free, huh? No, I probably haven't, but it sounds great. I can enjoy from the outside. How about that? <laughs> in, a, in general, but like, I don't know. Like, I, there's things like I love, like, breakfast like breakfast burritos are pretty awesome but like and i love all kinds of desserts but man ice cream sandwiches like with cookies oh they're just okay, so good but how do you deal with the whole biting into ice cream thing i feel like that's just really hard on the teeth <laughs> oh it's soft i don't know yeah i mean like if it's 
little chili like, or something. Yeah, or? yeah. The the frostbite or what, what's it called? That type of thing. <laughs> yeah, you get the brain freeze. But uh, yeah, there you go. These are good. They're very edible. So there's that's part of it. That's a really good point. Like, so if you're gonna have a cupcake. There's like an edibility factor where mm. how much icing is there and how much cake is it? Can you get, is it too tall to take a huge bite out of it? Um, these are very edible. So like they stick yeah. together. They're not, um, they don't fall apart. Like sometimes you can go even to like an ice cream shop and get one and the ice cream's so soft and the cookies, are, it's like squishes and you, you, you really need a fork to like eat it or a spoon or something. Yeah. These are very edible. So, uh, okay, and I, I look at all those things because I want to make sure I can chow this thing down because I'm not, I'm not wasting any time when no, I go to town no. on one of those sublime uh, ice cream sandwiches. There you uh, go. Yeah. Well, without further ado, uh, <laughs> let's get to our guest. We have a very special guest. No one does it better. Bruce Feldman, uh, our friend, longtime friend. Follow him on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. You can see him on Fox Sports and FS1. He also is a great writer for The Athletic, breaking all kinds of college football news. And we want to get the state of college football with Bruce. So we got him on now. Bruce, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Good to be on with you guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, how you? Well, real quick, how you holding up uh, during this <laughs> pandemic? Like, it's crazy time for us in the college football world. And now even for you, you got some teams you can cover, some teams you can't. I mean, this is just crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I did a story that ran, uh, it went up on Tuesday, and it was about the kind of guys who were coordinators who I thought would be hot names whose stock will go up over the course of this year. And it's like basically half the coaches, half the programs are playing, so your pool is limited. And then one of the guys I had on there, Jeff Grimes, is the offense coordinator at BYU, and they think they're going to be good, but part of it is also they played a bunch of tougher teams last year that they're not going to you know, there's not going to be a Utah. They're, they're really the only program west of Texas that's playing. So it's not to say they're going to have a cupcake schedule, but I would think they're probably going to – they may have a top 10 offense because there's about half the teams in football. And there's – especially if you're a school that's a non-conference, not tied to the SEC, ACC, or Big 12, you're just kind of a little bit floating to some degree. Yeah. I mean, just – this is just an absolute, I mean, unprecedented times. Uh, make sure you check out the Audible. Bruce does a great job with uh, Stuart Mandel, two guys from uh, The Athletic, uh, talking about things. And you had um, our friend Pete Sampson on, who covers Notre Dame, in your last uh, episode. We want to talk about like kind of the state of college football. But after listening to that interview, it seemed like early on, maybe the Big 12 was going to be like the, you know, the the swing vote. And, it you know, they went with the, we're going to play in the fall. So, that's where we're going now. But Notre Dame could be that wild card where they might not have a season because of, you know, not having students on campus. There could be these moral issues or whatever that comes out. I mean, it sounds like Notre Dame might be the thing that could flip everything where they bow out and then the ACC has to bow out and then everybody bows out. I mean, just from listening to that interview with you guys, I thought that might be the key one to watch. What does Notre Dame do going forward? Well, I think that Notre Dame is maybe positions itself different ethically than a lot of other colleges do. And you can kind of, you know, roll your eyes at that and all. But I think that that's one of the it's hard read, you know, to be honest, to, to say what they're going to do if it comes to that. Because as I think probably people have seen that Notre Dame is one of these schools that regular students have come back and the cases have surged. And if it comes to that where the university determines, you know what, this is probably not in the best issues from a health standpoint to have on to have everyone go in classes here, then 
the ethical question is, okay, is it safe? If it's not safe for students, then is it safe for football players? And I think what what's under the underlying part of that also is there's a there's this amateurism aspect of it where if you start getting into this slippery slope of okay, the players are in college athletics, if they're student athletes, quote unquote, they are not employees. But I think when you start getting into this question and for the Jay Billis's of the world, they're going to scream out the hypocrisy and pointing out that there's a farcical nature of this amateurism model. So there's that piece of it. I don't know. Like, first of all, I'm not as convinced. I don't, I don't want to say Pete was totally, Pete Sampson was totally convinced of it, but I'm probably less sure that Notre Dame would say, hey, if we can't have regular students, we're not going to play football. But I don't think that would necessarily be the threshold for the SEC or the Big 12 or the ACC to go, well, if Notre Dame is not playing and that's the distinction they're making, we're going to probably do it too. I, I really think it's going to come down to how many cases happen in the wake of regular students coming back. We've seen a lot of frustration and leadership whether it's at the University of Alabama's president or a bunch of other folks just basically saying, hey, you guys got to take this more seriously because the cases are going up and we don't like the direction of that. Or if, there, if it comes out that there are some football players or staff who have been gotten really, got really sick from COVID or either are hospitalized or things like that, I think that would make it a tougher decision for the university presidents to say, okay, we feel like we're going to go in a different direction. Cause right now they're standing opposite. Obviously they're taking different cues than the, than the PAC 12 leadership and the big 12, big 10 leadership took. And that's what I was just about to ask you. Have you been surprised about how each conference has kind of interpreted the medical data and, and which way they're going, or does it kind of make sense per conference, how they're kind of going with this? I guess I have been a little surprised. Here's the, the thing that, I think, you know, you can say you can trust it or not trust it or however, but like when it comes to what the data is, right? Like, so the big 12 is leaned on a, uh, a heart specialist who is from the Mayo Clinic. And certainly that is, you know, a very impressive pedigree. Um, and one of the things that I think in the, there was a New York times story about this very issue and, and it was brought up that, Okay, there was a study done in Germany, and and I think he had gone on Twitter and talked about how this he didn't think that was as applicable for reasons of age and some of the other things. I think the 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 other part of that is these universities and certainly the conference presidents they're the ones with access to all the information because you can say whatever you want about HIPAA and FERPA and what we could publish or what you guys could publish or whatever. But it's a different story when it comes to what the conference information is getting from their individual schools. They do X amount of tests. They determine, you know, they find out how many people are positive, how many are negative, how many are asymptomatic. Question I think that, you know, has come up several times is for the schools that may have had a bunch of players positive, but maybe they were asymptomatic. Were they also given some of these, cardiac MRIs that are now been discussed a lot. Do we know some of those issues? I mean, right now, the Big Ten schools, at least on the on the test cases, were relatively transparent, meaning I think every school in the conference at least released its numbers other than Ohio State and Northwestern. 
the SEC hasn't really released hardly anything when it comes to that. And a lot of schools really haven't released much. So we don't really have a too clear of a picture. But the people who, do, who should at least have a clear picture are the Greg Sankeys and the Bob Bowles, because those conference commissioners. And so if they're looking at it, and keep in mind, they're also looking at 18 to 22 year olds in this, you know, the college football demographic, you know, doing basically football stuff. That's a clearer picture, at least somewhat of a picture, because we don't really have that to draw any, you know, we're kind of going by whatever their indications are. So if Greg Sankey and his leadership feels like everything they've seen and heard from the tests they're getting and the, and the responses they're getting, which they're not releasing, then you can say, okay, do you trust it and say, do you trust them and say, okay, that means they feel very comfortable or at least comfortable enough that their student athletes are safe enough to proceed. And so you, at this point you can choose to take them at, at their word, or I guess if you're cynical, maybe you don't, but that's kind of, I think where we're at. Um, initially it's the big 10 and the, and the PAC 12 came out and said, we're going to play conference only schedules. And you came out with that. I think the PAC 12 was the first one to actually, Release a schedule. Uh, there was a recent SEC schedule announcement. They've got a lot of hoopla behind it. But my gut is, and I, you know, from listening to what you say on your show too, it seems like it goes along with the same thing. It just doesn't seem like the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 are going to back off where they, they didn't want to go conference only at first, but some of their hand was forced because they were playing some of those schools from the Big 10 in the Pac-12. A couple weeks later, they come out with their own modified conference-only schedule, one out of conference game, whatever it is. We sort of assumed that two weeks ago, when the Big Ten and the Pac-12 shut things down, that the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 were going to follow suit. And I'm not getting that sense right now. Um, I think you guys talked about on the show, the way they they touted how this they were releasing the SEC schedule, it didn't seem like that was something Greg Sankey was going to back off of and, and a week later say, yeah, we're not going to have a season. I mean... I, I really would have bet two weeks ago there's no way that college football gets played this fall. But now I'm leaning towards I think they're playing. It just seems like unless there's some really dire thing that happens, the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 are going to play. I lean to what, what you're saying. I mean, I'm not surprised that the Big 10 and the Pac-12 decided to do what they did. But once there's a little more distance between that announcement and where it is now, which I don't know, it's been two weeks, I think, maybe to the, to the day. Uh, short of something, and again, this could be uh, right now, I, I, Texas Tech earlier today had released that they have 21 active cases on their team. That's a sizable number. Now, is that enough for them to say we can't, if we had to play tomorrow, we could, you know, we would have, I don't know, 75 guys on their roster to play? I mean, you can play a game with 70, and I don't know that's if that's if they actually have 75, including walk-ons. Who knows? I don't know what percentage of that 21 is also. Could it be they have – I think the issue with some of these things is because it came up with Lincoln Riley also on the same day where he has one position room that's been decimated by, by co positive COVID tests. So I think those are challenges where maybe it's going to be like baseball where you have a couple of teams that had to postpone games and the, the sport just kind of trudges through. The one thing that to me that would be the, the thing that – probably throw could throw it into a different direction again as if there is something that comes out where it is either a player uh having some kind of serious i, I mean serious is even probably not the best way to put it but 
some some kind of issue where there's a hospitalization or if this if a player's on a ventilator, I think that would be something uh, that would give a lot of people in leadership and college athletics pause. Now, would that mean they would all stop it? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, like we're in such uncharted waters with all of this. I would have thought it probably would have, but I don't. I really don't know at this point. And I think anybody who tells you with any tries to tell you with any certainty is probably kidding themselves. Yeah. Now that we've had time to kind of digest it, what has been your assessment of Kevin Warren's handling of this? And it's funny because, you know, the Pac-12 fans always make fun of Larry Scott, but it seems like the Pac-12 is coming out better, at least in the Big Ten right now. How did you think he handled the rollout and maybe holding back on some of the medical data that they could have shared? Right. I, I thought it was pretty dreadful in terms of, the day it happened, he offered no specifics. And for it to come out, you know, two hours later that somebody at the Athletic is reporting, well, there's, according to a high-level Big Ten source, there was at least 10 cases of myocarditis uh, within the Big Ten. I'm not saying he has to name names or anything, but he just did not really release anywhere near the, the information or the intel that the Pac-12 did. The Pac-12 also, to their credit, not only had Larry Scott out there, they had uh, Ray Anderson and AD. They had their medical uh, chair on their task force uh, who also took questions. So there was a there was a it was more of a unified front. I mean, you nothing know, you did not see any of the Pac-12 coaches publicly pushing back the way you had in the Big Ten, whether it's Scott Frost, James Franklin, Ryan Day or Jim Harbaugh. I mean. It's been a drumbeat uh, of that kind of frustration slash skepticism. And I think, well, I don't know, it was like 10 days later, Kevin Warren put out a statement that he probably should have done the day of. And he didn't. And I don't know why. Because, again, in some theory, it's, it's befuddling to me why you wouldn't have done it, even if your university presidents had said, we do not want to give specifics. I think if you're Kevin Warren and you're in that position, it's the most high profile decision any conference commissioner has had to make in a long, long time. I think you have to say, look, we're going to have a lot of student athletes who have done everything they've been asked to do, which is more than has ever been asked of them as college athletes in a long time. We have to give at least some information, even if you don't want to, even if you're afraid of, of potential lawsuits coming back. We have to reveal something. And he didn't do it. And from what I've been told, he has not been very engaging in any kind of dialogue where conference ADs have not been able to get a hold of him. Whereas we did a big story in The Athletic uh, basically a couple days after the Pac-12's announcement, where it was about this Zoom call that the medical experts in the conference had with the head coaches, with the ADs, with Larry Scott, and that's why they all got it. They all understood. Whereas in the in the Big Ten, nothing like that apparently happened. Yeah, and it's been crazy to see that the Pac-12, like like Keely said, Larry Scott's usually getting crushed for these things. They actually handled this as you know really well. They've made their decision and they've moved on. And I, it seems like everyone's in unison and they're not having the infighting. But and there's a bunch of questions that kind of come about having a split season. But I want to talk to you now. If we assume that the season goes forward and happens in the fall. To me, that's actually a better chance that there's some sort of spring season because it would, if they do have a successful fall season, 
there's no reason why you couldn't have something in the spring, you know, outside of, well, you don't want to have two seasons in one year or things like that, but they could have some shortened season that starts in January or whatever, and have at least something that might replace spring football. But in your opinion, I know we've had so many people that just wanted the fall to happen and they just were anti spring football from the beginning. But where do you fall on that? Do you think spring is, is possible and, is it more possible if they play in the fall or not play in the fall? No, I think it's more possible if they play in the fall, because like what you just said, that would show them some kind of path as possible. Also, granted, you never know what the virus is going to be like four months from now or six months from now. It'd be very surprising if the efficiency of testing would be worse than it is now. I mean, it's only yeah. figures to get better. And one of the things that the Pac-12 was very uh, vocal about from our reporting was that they felt like there were five hotspots within the conference and two of those hotspots are USC and UCLA would have had to be testing to ramped up to daily capacity, which is something that they did not, they would feel very confident they would be able to get to for a while. So if the testing is more efficient and that is, that would be progress. That's not even to say if there's a chance for a vaccine to be readily available or anything like that. But even if this, the testing is more accessible and manageable and turns is turned around faster, I think that gives them a better chance. And I don't think anyone's looking and saying, Oh, they're going to play a 15 game, 12 game season in the spring. I think you're looking at probably a six to eight game season. If you can manage it and starting relatively early, meaning maybe in mid January and being done, the big tens model is to have a conference championship game. I think by, the first week of of March and look I mean people have spring games and, and spring scrimmages that go some of them I know go deep into April so I granted there's more wear and tear on having a college football season even if it's an abridged one but I think people I, I think people can manage for the people who are going wow it's I don't know how you how you do that with for the health risks of student athletes I'm not sure how you could necessarily say hey I don't know how you do that for the student health risk of student athletes when you're already going to say, hey, they're going to be playing in a pandemic and we don't know, <laughs> you know, what the long term effects are. I mean, to me, if you're going to say one thing and go, well, we don't know how you could take the wear and tear. Well, you're also, at, you know, if you're OK with them playing in the middle of a pandemic where you don't know the long term effects, I don't know how you make that that argument. Yeah. Um, but uh, here we are. So are you feeling um, I mean, we're seeing the kind of resentment in the big, in the big 10 people are, you know, really upset and the PAC 12, not as much, like you said, they're sort of like accepting it, but there are, there's definitely USC fans that are really unhappy that they're not going to be taking part in the season. Uh, I believe, I don't know if it was Dennis Dodd, but someone reported about, uh, the, what the, the playoff committee, they plan on going forward, doing everything the way they were going to. So basically it would not include the big 10 and the PAC 12. So there's playoff ramifications there. If both schools play in the spring, they could still have like a Rose Bowl type of game, which would be, you know, something, um, but not necessarily, you know, with you know, the playoff and, and all that comes with that. But is it how far behind could the Big 12, I mean, the Big 10 and Pac-12 be uh, by not playing, even if they play something in the spring and have some kind of, you know, cool Rose Bowl game? This is one of those things where the Big Ten's strong. The Pac-12 is not as much. So, I mean, it's something it seems like it could significantly set the Big I mean, at least the Pac-12 back, if not the, the Big Ten. Well, I think it's more of a case because if you, you talk to coaches privately, and, and I'm sure you guys do it out here, that it's an issue that the 
Big Ten coaches certainly are mindful of as it relates to recruiting and being used against them. But I don't know. I find it hard to believe that if you're Ohio State or USC and you're doing things the way, you know, in an optimum way, some kid's not going to go, well, I'm going to go to Oklahoma State instead of USC because you guys didn't play in the fall of, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. Now, maybe there will be a kid or two like that. But I, I just think that you know, if USC, and again, this is probably not the right, the best analogy, but if USC was anywhere near close to what it was back in the early 2000s, people, you know, you can find all sorts of reasons to not, for, for not, to not do something, but I don't think those are going to be things that are going to be like, oh, it's going to be a game changer and they'll never be able to, to be successful again. I mean, look, you, you know, you could you could also spin it the other way if you're Clay Helton or or, or Jimmy Lake or would name your coach in the Pac-12 and say, look, the reason why our our leadership chose to do this is because they genuinely care about their student athletes, and this is why we made this decision. And uh, the bulk of college football didn't play for that reason, and so. Again, I, I mean, I, I think it's I, I want to say that maybe that issue is probably getting read a little too far. And it feels like it's a very Twittery kind of subject where somebody can kind of throw out some stuff. And I'm sure that it gets negative recruiting going. But I don't I don't know. I find it hard to believe that that would be completely a huge stumbling block. Do you feel like I think one another Twitter thing that came up was maybe if once the Pac-12 and the Big Ten cancel, there would be this mass exodus in the transfer portal. Obviously, that means that uh, schools have to have open spots. But do you see, we've kind of seen a trickling so far, but do you think there will be some max exodus if football does really get played? I don't think so. Just because it's like, it's going to be, first of all, there's not that many scholarship spots that are going to be yeah. available, right? So, yeah. I mean, I know this, like LSU has one spot. They've had it open for probably two or three months. The idea of, like who's going to fit for some of these spots. I think a lot of places don't have any spots. So you're talking about having a guy transfer and learning a new system on the fly for some guys. It's like, do I want to put up really bad film? You know, if I, if I'm not really sure, I mean, I, I definitely think there'll be a handful. I mean, look, Washington state's best receiver, Tay Martin transferred to Oklahoma state and Arizona's losing two linebackers and UCLA is losing a starting right tackle. But I don't think it's going to be like all of a sudden now, um, you know, Keaton Slovis is going to try to go someplace or some of these other guys are like, you know, because if you do that, keep in mind, if these guys transfer. There's no guarantees a week from now that the place they go to is still going to be playing. I mean, I yeah. think I really think it's it's that tenuous at this point. I mean, I don't think anybody can say with any certainty what's going to happen. Yeah. Speaking of like transfers and the rosters, uh, we did hear from the NCAA this week and they put a little more clarity into uh, eligibility and getting an extra year. And from my understanding, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I wrote a piece this morning, uh, put it up on uscfootball.com, but it's basically a free year for everyone that no one, you know, any of the fall sport athletes, it doesn't really count. So it's almost like freezing your roster and you can look ahead. And then the seniors, any senior on your roster that wants to play again in 2021, regardless if you play in 2020 or not, they would be able to come back and it wouldn't count towards that school's uh, 85 roster limit. So 
it looks pretty good for 2021. Your seniors won't count, but I think it's going to, unless they make some kind of changes going forward, the following years, it's essentially like having two freshman classes. You have this huge freshman class that kind of has to balloon through, pop through your system. Um, I could see the potential for guys getting, you know, run out of programs because they just have too many dudes on scholarship. But is that your understanding of, of how this works? And we could have some kind of, you know, roster gymnastics uh, from 2022 and beyond because of this. Right. And that that was an issue that came up a lot with some of these FCS programs when they first started, had they shut down for the fall was I heard the term roster management a lot. And that is a concern. Um, think about it as you're going to shoehorn this in with one time transfer exemption coming in down the road. And how does that play? Are you going to save a lot of spots and not sign First of all, I mean, there's the issue of how how good is your evaluations going to be in the class of 2021 when a lot of guys may not have played or you may not have seen them that much in person. And then you're going to say, OK, are we going to save some of those roster spots for or whatever spots for for transfers who may be wanting to come? So, yeah, gymnastics is probably the right term to 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 use when it comes to how how staffs are going to budget all this. One of the questions we had, too, as far as going forward, what do you think of as far as the Heisman Trophy and, like, USC was in the AP poll this week and they're not even playing? Like, what are the questions that you see going forward of how odd this is going to be with two conferences in and three conferences – or flip that – three conferences in and two conferences out? Yeah, I didn't quite understand why the AP would have opted to do that. To me, that was was a curious move to see it. But, you know, as it relates to the Heisman – it's really it would be really strange if you had let's say you had a quarterback and say there's a, sp- a spring season and we'll use Keaton Slovis he's obviously on people's radar and they go through and he has 19 touchdowns and zero interceptions uh it would be obviously a great year no Heisman consideration I mean would if I was the Heisman Trust and you have half the teams playing one in the fall and half playing in the in the spring, is that something you should factor in? I don't I don't know. I mean, it's just it's uh, it's one of the quirks of what of this season as everyone kind of makes it up as they go along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ohio State number two. What's up? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Like Ohio State number two. They're not even playing. I'm like, all right, <laughs> that makes sense. Um we, we talked about some of the transfer, like transfer portal aspects, and we were talking about this on Tunnel Vision a little bit. Do you see any kind of uh, coaching poaching going on, either NFL or Power Fives? You know, co- poaching some of the Pac-12 or Big Ten coaches, and who knows? It could be something where you go through a fall season and you're getting ready to, you know, USC's getting ready to start, you know, play in the spring. And someone comes along and hires like Graham Harrell away. Um, I mean, could you see something like that happening where it's just something else that kind of gets the rug taken out from under the uh, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten? Yeah, I think that's possible. I think one of the challenges I wouldn't expect, and this is from talking to industry sources, I would not expect a lot of coaching turnover from a head coach standpoint just because, you know, as it was the case with USC with Clay Helton last year, it would have cost a fortune to buy him and that staff out and bring a new staff in. Now schools are going to be so squeezed financially. I'm not sure how many are going to have much money to, to make a ton of big moves. Now, a position coach is a different kind of economics, but still, I don't know how, how widespread I think that would be. But it's, it's definitely a possibility, I guess. 
And speaking of Clay Helton, the question we get all the time is, well, what does this mean for Clay Helton? I, get, I guess we have our takes, but we want to hear yours. What does this mean for Clay Helton? Is it a good thing or a bad thing that 2020 and that schedule was not played? I think we'll only know until the next games he coaches, right? Because if, mm-hmm. if, I mean, it's weird, but like if he goes and let's say he plays just a Pac-12 schedule and they go and they go seven and one or whatever, it's, you know, let's say it's eight games. I don't know how you fire somebody off of that. Um, I feel like the more this thing has played out, I just don't know who, who, who's going to materialize and people are going to go, yeah, that's the guy we feel like we're going to make this big move and get rid of Clay Helton for. I mean, there, there didn't seem to be that guy that the leadership at USC thought was so apparent. Um, and I, I don't get the impression, like a lot of people like Urban Meyer, I'm, I, I don't get the impression Carol Folt wanted Urban Meyer nine months ago. I don't. I, my doubts are she's not going to change her mind on that, you know, at any point down the road, I could be totally wrong on that, but, um, I just don't know what, again, who knows, maybe, uh, maybe Luke fickle goes out and wins the national title from Cincinnati. And then all of a sudden, uh, USC makes throws everything at him and he decides he wants to do it. I just don't know. Yeah. You know, what would change barring a disastrous spring season if it happens, right? I, I just don't know. I feel like everything that's happened in the off season, for the most part, has been fairly positive. I think a lot of people, and you'd know your, your audience better than I certainly would, but I think a lot of people from the outside have said, Clay Helton and USC have made a lot of very smart moves since, uh, I don't know, since the winter. Whether it was, it was the uh, staff additions, I think they were good. I think on a recruiting front, they were good. I just feel like they've been very proactive. And that helps Clay Helton. It doesn't mean he's won any more games than he, than he did before this started. But I just think that maybe that, that backburnered it a little more. Yeah. They did just give uh, Luke Fickle just got an extension, too. But I saw uh, that, yes. Yeah. You got a big raise. Uh, we we want to get to your book, uh, Flip the Script, that's coming out soon. I did a couple more things, but we want to let you talk about that because this is going to be really interesting. For everyone that wanted a follow-up to uh, Meat Market, this looks like uh, the next best thing. Um, we, you mentioned about the employees, uh, you know, college football players potentially becoming employees. I had uh, Alyssa uh, Jessup on, Alicia Jessup on, and she's a uh, sports law professor at Pepperdine, but she also writes for your publication, The Athletic. And she was very sort of matter of fact about um, she thinks that they could, you know, the, they could easily be employees that wouldn't, you know, shouldn't impact them having a scholarship or having to pay taxes on that kind of money. And I've just heard so many, I've only heard negative things about uh, players becoming employees. Maybe that's just the people I'm talking to. Did you have any thoughts on that? If it's, would be feasible for players to become employees and then you could have unions and things like that. I'll be perfectly honest. Like, I mean, I've met Alicia too, and I would totally defer with the lawyers on this because when this kind of first got on my radar, I used to work at ESPN and Rod Gilmore, who a lot of people out here know, former Stanford player and ESPN announcer, who is a lawyer, um, had brought up that very subject. And the part, I guess I don't really have a great understanding about is how much does this change from the NCA model name image and like this is coming down the pipeline there's there's just a bunch of stuff that is kind of wrapped in what I never felt very comfortable with from a discussion standpoint is you know like I had this conversation once with Myron Roll 
former Rhodes or Rhodes scholar, former FSU player. And I said, so if, and he was in favor of the athletes getting paid and I wasn't opposed to it. I just, you know, I felt like it was complicated. Right. And I said, well, at Florida state, do you pay the track athletes? And he was like, yeah, you, you have to, they're the ones who just won a national title. They're the best athletes on our campus in terms of success, but that's not a revenue sport. Look, USC has great track and field. And is that like, how do you manage the sports, it's not to say about how hard they work because in, all, in their all, all their own rights, they all work really hard. But I just think a lot of these issues are, seem to be very complicated. And so I don't know how they cleared out. I, just by saying they're not amateurs anymore, I don't think that means that you're the student athlete or whoever they are isn't taking academics seriously, right? Because I feel like so much of this devolves into like Danny Cannell and Dan Wolken arguing on Twitter. And it's like, <laughs> you're taking the worst extremes of both here, right? Um, or somebody sniping back at Reggie Bush. And it's like, I don't like, I don't think anything gets accomplished when that stuff happens, right? And so I think from my side of it or my perspective is let the people who are who are versed in it really hash out some of these issues and then see where it goes from there. Because honestly, I mean, I don't want to say like, I I'm not invested in it. Cause obviously I love college football, but it's just, I think whatever it is, if you want to say that the student athletes are actually employees and they're compensated in a different way, so be it. I mean, they're not regular students in terms of the expectations that go into it. And I think, you know, we all probably, I think all three of us probably had jobs when we were in college, but we also didn't have the, like, at least I didn't, you know, have the expectations on that you have when you're a, when you're a football player at a top program or you're in whatever at a, a high level athlete. And for all the people who are going, well, I had a job and I would have loved for somebody to give me the chance. Well, you know what? Probably nobody was going to pay to watch you play basketball. Either. <laughs> you know, it's like, we use our friend Dan Wykey, a former colleague of yours. Great guy, works hard. Uh, nobody wants to pay to watch him play basketball, no. right? So also, he cheats pretty well. It'd be fun to nobody, watch him cheat. Nobody, I don't even want to want to listen to it on the phone. Hear him talk about it. So why would I want to <laughs> pay to watch it? And and look, no offense to anybody else who's arguing on it, but like that's the reality. It's like for people like, oh yeah, it's just the uniform. If USC had a bunch of you know fielded a intramural team. I don't think people would come out to the Coliseum or turn on, tune on to watch it. Yeah. So in terms of name, image, and likeness, where do you fall on that? Do you think that can solve all the issues? Because I've talked to some people who think it, it will solve a lot of issues, but where do you think that falls in the employee conversation? I think it, it's, it may solve a few issues. I, I did a long story and I spent, uh, I don't know, a week on and off talking to Reggie Bush about this very issue. and. He is a unique case to take outside the NCA case in addition, but just so we went through with also some uh, sports marketing experts about how much money Reggie would have made. Now, granted, Reggie's in a humongous media market, which is different from almost every other college football program. There is no LA's, obviously UCLA is, but it's not like that in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It's not like that in Clemson, South Carolina. It's not like that in state college, Pennsylvania, you name it, Norman, Oklahoma. But you have this huge brand opportunity. You have a program at the time, which was on top of the world. You had a very dynamic style of player. 
And you started going through the things you could do. The part where the name, image, and likeness thing kind of seemed to get off the rails is how does the NCA interpret it? Meaning, okay, Reggie Bush can have a shoe, a shoe deal, a sports drink deal, an apparel deal, maybe even with a furniture store or whatever, local businesses. The, the part that I think they, the NCA would have a hard time pushing back against is you name the booster at USC. If they want to have Reggie Bush come to their kid's birthday party to be like, you know, the bell of the ball on their block or whatever, and they pay him 50 grand, I mean, Reggie could do 20 of those in an off season and make a fortune, right? And USC back then would have the people who would fit the bill to have Reggie Bush come there and even take Reggie out of it. Say that there would be some, you know, you, Ryan, you probably have a handful of them on your message board. Somebody would say, hey, I want to have Lendale White come to, you know, come hang out with us or whatever. I'm going to pay Lendale White 20 grand or I'm going to pay him 10 grand or I'm going to have Dallas Sarts come to pay five grand, whatever. Like that money is going to add up. And how much the NCA pushes back at that and says, well, that's a recruiting, you know, that could, that's not a fairness issue. I don't know how they get around that because on one sense, if you're Stanford and you're saying, hey, come to our school and you're some, some school in another part of the country that's, that has nowhere near the academic uh, bandwidth of it or nowhere near the resources after you graduate with a Stanford degree, it's not the same thing anyway, right? I mean, there's a difference yeah. between all these schools and that's just part of it. You can't bend over backward and, and screw up the model entirely because they're trying to cling to something that's not real. So, I mean, in a long answer, Keely, that's the part where I don't know if as the NCA battles with, with Congress over some of this stuff, I mean, it, I, I don't think there's going to be, I don't have a ton of confidence in either the NCA or Congress to, to, to land in the right place. Yeah. And maybe not in terms of NLI or NIL, but as far as just COVID-19 and who's making the decisions, I know you have a ton of sources. So I was just curious who is really, who has the strength in these conversations and who is ultimately making the decisions? Is it the presidents or is it people kind of in their ears telling them which way to go? I think it's really the presidents because they're the ones who are going to be liable. They're the ones who are going to be on the hook for it. If you make a disastrous decision, what does that mean for the university going forward? And I think that's the thing that they're, they're, they're aware of, you know, like if you take an AD in, in any league, yeah, I, I have no doubt the, the AD cares deeply about the university and, and about the athletes in his program or in her program. But I think where there's a they have bosses and they're, you know, some of the some of the some of the stuff that they deal with on a daily day to day basis is nowhere near the threshold of it's I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying it's not life changing for a lot of people. But I don't think it reaches the life and death components. And I don't want to over dramatize this. But when you're talking about liability, I mean, that's where some of this stuff starts to butt into. So I think that is definitely on people's radar who make those kinds of decisions. And to be perfectly honest, it's like those kinds of people typically are not the ones who are talking to us on a, you know, on a regular basis about what their thought process is. We may talk yeah. to conference commissioners. We definitely talk to coaches. We talk to ADs. But when it comes to presidents, I'm not saying they don't talk to any in the media, but I think that there's just 
it's it's very limited, and I think they're probably very close to the best. Now, they may tell their AD, and they may tell people in the athletic department some stuff, but I just don't know how many people have a great cross-section of all that. Yeah, and in terms of liability, and not to get too real here, but you're a, a good person to talk to because you covered the Texas-Maryland game. And the unfortunate, it was after the unfortunate passing of Jordan McNair and how things definitely changed as far as offseason workouts and whatnot to protect players. Is it surprising to you after covering the emotion of that game that then we're kind of pushing forward as a college football community to keep playing, not knowing the long term effects? Like, is it surprising since you were so close to what happened in that aftermath? It's a good question. Um, I think what's different, and I go back on this a little bit. You're right, because being around the team that weekend was super emotional, right? I still remember the Johnny Jordans and some of Ellis McKinney. Those were his close guys. They were our fellow offensive linemen. Yeah. Um, what what, what's, what I, I think was a big takeaway, though, was when McNair's family went on, I think it was Good Morning America, maybe with Michael Strahan, and said in blunt terms about the tragedy of losing a son and put that on the leadership of the University of Maryland, I think that really changed what, how Maryland, I don't, I don't know this for a fact, but I think that once that happened, I don't know how you bring back the head coach of the Maryland football program after that. And so looking at, at, at the pandemic as it is, I don't know what number it is now, if there's 175 or 180,000, you know, Americans who, who died, but there isn't, as far to my knowledge, anybody who is in a football program right now in college football that there isn't the Jordan McNair story right now attached to anywhere, right? I know that there yeah. are there are family members who uh, players who've there's you know family players who've lost family members and, and and whatnot, and it's not to say it's not real. I mean, you can tell whatever, you know, whatever story, whether it's Tony Baselli or some of these others where there have been prominent players who aren't that old, who have had really bad bouts of it, but survived. Um, but in terms of there hasn't been a Jordan McNair story, and hopefully there won't be when it comes to COVID. But I think if it got to that point, I think that would, that would, that, that would be something that I think would be hard for a lot of people in leadership in college in, in colleges, but it's certainly in college athletics to, to, to get a, get their minds around. Yeah. Uh, last question before we talk about the book, flip the script. Um, you know, we've seen weird behavior during the pandemic that seems like people can change their habits. Maybe they don't go into work as often. They commute, you know, work from home, things like that. Do you see any permanent or all semi-permanent changes for college football going forward? Um, I see on Twitter a lot that, you know, Programs are scheduling games at the last minute. Do we need to do that 10 years in advance going forward? Anything that you feel like this is probably going to change college football the way we know it forever? I think, you know, maybe the, the Zoom component, people will be much probably take to meetings that way. I think, you know, you guys know a lot of football coaches, and I don't think most of them are the most tech savvy. So I think it was it was foreign to them, but I think they've been forced to adapt. And so they have. I think there's that. I do wonder if there will be less access than normal, I don't know what normal is anymore, but like, you know what I mean? Where you used to, I think you guys in particular have seen less access than, than what you had Ryan 10 years ago. I think because of this, 
I think this is probably another reason, probably why access will be will be will be tighter. I think um, I think there will probably be less sports because there won't be the money for it. So I don't know necessarily, you know, where this part of it goes, but I do think we've seen athletes use their voice more on social media, especially in the last half of the pandemic. And I think that's only going to continue, right? Whether it's the Oklahoma State players pushing back uh, on some Mike Gundy's politics or the uh, some of the Mississippi State players talking about about how they felt about the state flag in the state of Mississippi or the players' movements around the country, certainly in the Pac-12, I, I think you will see more of the players because of the social media component of it. And I also think, that a lot of them now are just fed up with how what they see the system, how it works and how maybe some of the politics tied to it. I mean, cause now I'm seeing it. It used to be, I would notice it from a bunch of, you know, a bunch of Miss, uh, Ohio state players would, would felt very comfortable speaking out and sharing their thoughts. And now maybe I'm just noticing it more, but I, I definitely feel like there's a stronger voice out there from the players. And I don't think that's going away. I think if anything, it's only going to get, they're only going to get more vocal and probably um, more support because I think they, I honestly, I just think they're, they're frustrated and I think they're tired with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately we're out of time. We don't, I can't talk about your book. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we should have done it at the beginning. I'm sorry, Bruce. Uh, so I guess it was 10 years ago that, Meat Market came out. Is that right? Was it no, I think it's like 13 years. 13? Oh, my God. This is crazy. Uh, well, yeah. Meat Market was great. Following Ed Orgeron, uh, or Ed Orgeron around in the war rooms for recruiting and all that stuff. USC fans, there was like Joe McKnight recruiting stories where you know, Orgeron's trying to get Joe McKnight to stay in state. I mean, uh, you know, stay in the South. And Pete Carroll steals him away. Uh, then, you know, I don't know how many years ago the QB was. Um, I think that was about six, maybe. Six, oh my God, that's crazy! Oh yeah, because that was like so with Mike Leach and I mean, oh uh, you know, it's there's some the the, the QB was actually uh, going into Sam Darnold and Ricky Towns senior yes. year of high school. Wow, so that was the benchmark of it. Yeah, there's the Ricky Towns stuff in there, Sam Darnold stuff. So there's always been these USC elements, and people wouldn't want it. They love the access, the meat market. There was like unprecedented access in there where Ordron was talking about. You know, really like we like this kid. We don't like this kid. This guy's mom's crazy. Whatever it was, there were all kinds of crazy recruiting stories in there. And I think you sounds like you picked a pretty good year to, to follow Orgeron again, because LSU goes and wins a national championship. So anyway, long intro. Tell us about flip the script and uh, what that's been like. So I went down to LSU in last spring, last April. And he had told me he was very excited about the direction of the program. He had hired a pass game coordinator from the NFL, a young pass game coordinator named Joe Brady. And just I hadn't heard him talk about the team the way he had been. And so I went down there and spent a week and came back thinking and I'd seen them practice. And I was like, wow, their defense is awful, which it's never awful. Or they're going to be really good. The receivers are are ridiculous. And their one running back who had never done anything looks really good. And the quarterback looks really good, Joe Burrow. So I started working on a book on a book proposal and I started working on it. And I did not think they were going to win a national title, but I thought they were a playoff team depending on uh, whether they could win at Texas or not. But I thought they were a, a top five kind of team. 
And so I worked on it. And then they would, the night they beat Alabama or the afternoon, I was doing my own game. I think I was at an Oklahoma game, but I saw most of it and talked to some people down there. And I was like, I really think that I should proceed with this because I've always gotten asked, is there going to be a sequel to Meat Mark? And I'm like, here I have this thing that is just, you know, right in line with it. And it's crazy symmetry of it. And so I was able to work it out with my job that I could spend the week of the SEC title game down at LSU and then go to, to, to Atlanta for when they played Georgia. And I was not surprised they won that game handily, but they blew them off the field. And then when I got back to LA, I'm like, all right, I got to bring this up because I didn't want to bother him and say, hey, I think I want to do this book. I just want to let you know what I'm doing. So I spoke to him on the Monday after the SEC title game, and he said, you know, that's great. You know, I'm, you know, I'll answer whatever questions you need. The only thing is I've gotten contacted or my agent has got contacted by a publisher and they want me to they're thinking about doing a leadership book. And I was like, oh, and then he thought, of, you know, he was like, listen, you know, you know me better than any writer. Uh, would you want to write that book? And so I gave it some thought and talked to some literary agents who thought it was that was the way to go and started working on it and uh after they played Oklahoma in the semifinal I was at that point I was like they're not losing to Clemson they're like they're playing too good they're on too much of a roll I'd been around them a lot I'd been in a lot you know a lot of meetings and at, at all their practices and I was like they're they're just playing at a different level than anybody I'd seen play in a long time and so that's where it came. The day of the the day of the national title game was a Monday, and I met with a publisher then, and we kind of agreed on some stuff. And you know, who knew there was going to be a pandemic? But yeah. it was it was crazy how it's all kind of come together. And we spent a lot of time on the phone uh, through the pandemic, working on on the book. And it's it's interesting because I I felt like I'd read everything that's ever been written about Ed Ogeron, seen all the TV pieces. And I was like, well, let me see how much I'm going to learn about him along the way. And I knew I wouldn't know a lot of the details of the LSU stuff because I hadn't been around there that much. But it was fascinating how much new stuff I learned even before the LSU part. And, and a lot of that was actually about, you know, how things went at USC when he came back on Lane's staff. And it was kind of fascinating to, to, to hear that part. Yeah. Nice. Well, looking forward to uh, this one. When is it coming out? Uh, it should be out in a month or so. So okay. the the pandemic has made it a little more, uh, I, and the book is coming out, but it's just like, I think that the publishing schedule is like kind of slowed a little bit. So, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, this is going to be great. Everyone loved uh, meat market and some sort of follow up there. I didn't realize that. I don't think we had talked about that, that, uh, this was like not the idea for a book you had, but like a different one. And, uh, they had you do that. So that that's cool. I mean, that's to see what, how he's come, how far he's come. And it's, you know, obviously tied to USC fans since he was the head coach at SC for eight games or whatever it was. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of USC fans are interested in his story. Well, I think one thing that's really unique with him is he learned from his mistakes, not just the mistakes he, he made at Ole Miss, but some at USC, but he also learned from Lane's mistakes. And I think he, like one of the cool things in the book is people, you know, if you're a USC fan, you'll see, okay, here's where things went south. 
when Lane was the head coach in the middle of the sanctions. And then here's what Ed did. Here's what happened with him and Pat Hayden. Um, Cause I have a bunch of other voices in the, you know, in that USC chapter kind of talking about what they saw and what they were a part of and how that all unfolded. So, you know, when I, Looking back, I was like, we have stuff I know that's that's you know new, and it was interesting even on the front end of the when he and Pete Carroll are there because there was a lot of stuff I'd never asked him about, and there's a lot of stuff I'm not sure he'd ever really opened up about when he and Pete got rolling at USC. So, you know, once I felt like once we got to a certain point of the book, and it's really the part where he partners up with Pete, I feel like the book really. Is, is kind of a fun roller coaster ride to go on. All right. Well, looking forward to that, especially the, there always has to be some sort of USC ties in there, right? I don't know. There's something <laughs> in there. So, uh, but Bruce, thanks again so much for the time. I didn't realize we kept you on this long, but uh, wanted to get a state, you know, your view of the state of college football. We've never seen it. It's a bizarre state, right? Like, we just don't know. It's just, so, everything's so weird right now. But uh, we wanted you to, to make heads or tails of whatever you could, and we appreciate you doing that. Thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, that's Bruce Feldman. Ch- you know, follow him on Twitter, Bruce Feldman CFB. We'll be back in a minute answering some of your questions. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Keely, great stuff uh, with I Bruce. Know. A lot of good insight there. Yeah, like always, he has his. He knows what he's talking about for sure. So it's nice to pick his brain. Yeah, he's uh, he's on top of stuff, and I think he's in. There's a lot of cultural ball writers that are in the same boat, you know. And if you're a, if you're people like us, you're covering a team that's shut down their season. It's kind of a challenging time. People ask me about it all the time, and if you're you're covering Notre Dame or you're covering uh, Alabama or you're covering Ohio, you know, oh, not Ohio state, you're covering uh, Clemson. <laughs> it's yeah, there's it's you, you got, you're like talking about the actual season and uh, where we can't really do that right now, but you know, Bruce is sort of in the middle where yeah. you're like, well, this is going on. I understand this. And I think a lot of the college football writers were very understanding when the, the PAC 12 and the big 10 shut down, but it's still hard when the other conferences are going forward. And if they have, a successful season and nobody gets sick and it's fine. I don't know. Then it just, it's going to look weird for the, the PAC 12 and the big 10. Yeah. I mean, it, it's already weird because I think you retweeted the other day. It looks like Los Angeles County is getting better. So there's always that thought of like, wait, 
well, maybe this could actually happen, but not really. But it's interesting because even when you talked about the Audible episode with Bruce and, and Stu with uh, Pete Sampson, half of it was, do you think football will even be played? And then the other half of the interview was, so what's happening with the team? It's just yeah. a weird it's a weird dichotomy of like, will this even exist? And how are the, the minute details going, you know? Yeah, it's so, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's always interesting covering USC. Dad talks about that all the time. And uh, this is, you know, far more interesting because we just don't know what's going to happen during the pandemic. But thanks to Bruce for doing that. And when his Mm -hmm. book comes out in a month or so, you guys should all uh, check it out for sure. But we got some uh, we got some questions to get to. I could you want me to start with a voicemail or do you want to do whatever you want, boss, man? Let's go. uh, (laughs) Let's go voicemail first. Here. Okay. This message is for Ryan and the crew. Um, if if the SEC, the ACC, and the Big Twelve play, um, and then if the Big Six, right, the the uh, Ohio State, Wisconsin, all those teams play in the fall. And the conference is not in is the uh, the small six, right? The 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 the, the small eight, the guys who didn't join Ohio State in the big the Big Twelve, and then. Twelve. And those are the only teams. Those twenty teams are the only teams in the Power Five that don't play. Then none of those teams will even be considered Power Power Five schools anymore. I would make sure that no recruits in California ever consider a Pac-12 school. Why would Why would they do that? Anytime I talk to a recruit, the three, four, five star guy, I'll tell him, you know, might as well just go west, the state. You want to pay for USC? They're not big football. They don't care about football. Everyone else can do it. All the other major blue bloods figure out a way. Like USC, Oregon, UCLA, they're all saying it out. Terrible. Terrible. Um, okay, so I understand the sentiment a little bit, but there's uh, there's some confusing points in there, Keely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. San Diego State, the Mountain West isn't playing either. Um, Ohio State isn't playing either. They're blue blood. So it's not just the Pac-12, uh, it's the Big Ten as well. It, it, he made it sound like the Ohio State was opting out and they were going to play. Um, that is not the case. The Big Ten has been a mess, but they've come out and said, look, we know there's weird stuff going on, but we're still not playing. Um, and they're not playing. You're not paying to go to school. You don't have to pay extra to be a cultural player at USC. you got a scholarship just like anywhere else. So, it's yes, it's weird. And I completely understand when people are super upset that these two conferences made those decisions, but it's not a Pac-12 only thing. It's not a USC only thing. It's, you know, ha- more than half the college football teams aren't going to be playing in the in the fall. And who knows, by the next couple of weeks, all of them might not be playing. Yeah, and I think it's worth reminding people that it's not like it's an even, even playing field as far as local and state guidelines. It's not like everyone got the green light to do whatever you want. If you want to play, you can. And then it's up to these schools and conferences to make their decision. The Pac-12 in particular, essentially half of their, their schools couldn't even touch a football. So it's it, they were their hands were tied. And I think that forced their decision more so than, hey, football means less to us. Let's sit out. You know, I think there were it's a more complex issue than just, does this mean something to you? Is football important? You know, there were a lot of guidelines and restrictions in place as well that made things very difficult. And it's still that way. I mean, yeah. we're here in Los Angeles County and my understanding, and you know, they're they're the players are still on campus. They're still working out, but they're 
still doing it in those smaller pods, you know, which are, it works pretty well. Uh, they're not seeing cases, but you got eight to 12 people. And Bruce talked about this a little bit where Alabama doesn't tell you they have cases. If they have 15 cases or whoever it was, it was Texas tech or somebody had like 20 cases. Yeah. Well, if it was like all the linemen, that's a problem. And talking to people at USC, Keely, it was like, well, if you can only practice in pods, do you do it by like all the starters? Do you do it by position group? Well, the problem is if one pod gets sick and all the offensive line, you can't play anymore. So how do you split that up? Uh, do you have like walk-ons with the starting quarterback? I mean, I don't, it's hard to, uh, but then you got to practice that way. USC is not allowed by the local governments to practice a normal way. I think they can touch a football more now than they could before, but there's like okay. gloves and sanitation involved, but they can't be in a big groups. Uh, they can't lift a weight inside still like gyms are not open. Um, you know, the Rams and stuff get, uh, they get exemptions. I don't know if USC UCLA asked or could have got some kind of exemption. So we're seeing the NFL kind of push forward, but there's a lot of money there. There's a yeah. lot of you know testing and stuff. So yeah, it's still to this day, Keely, you can't, practice that way the, the way you would normally practice so how would you have a season yeah exactly I mean I think Lincoln Riley said today that an entire position group was just wiped out <laughs> and so like and the differences between in LA County they made uh different recommendations for the pro sport so say if a, a center on the Rams gets sick only a couple people need to quarantine whereas at the college level the entire offensive line that played with him would have to be quarantined and like you said that would take out position groups it would take out roommates who are that you know it's it's just a, a pandora's box so it just it's not like it's very feasible right now and that's why i go back to i don't think it was an even even playing field of everyone has the green light to play and so this is up to whether or not they care about it it's much more complicated than that it's definitely more complicated. And that, that is a good point too. And you know, what I would, some of the people I talked to said, what is considered close contact? And obviously you're in Tuscaloosa, uh, you know, you're at, at Clemson, you're, you know, they've come up with ways where somebody gets the you know test positive. It doesn't shut down the whole team, but like in California or different counties, the, what, what is defined as close contact you mm -hmm. could argue or the argument could be made that, okay, someone on the football team gets it. The whole team has to quarantine for two weeks. Obviously you can't play in that kind of a situation. So it's really just been about the, I mean, the local governments where some of these PAC 12 schools are. And I think, you know, similar things in the, in the big 10, it, that they were just so strict on these guidelines and restrictions. It wasn't going to allow, uh, you know, practices to happen. And you could argue that those guidelines are over, you know, they're, they're overreaching and they shouldn't be in place, but you're following, uh, you know, your local government's, uh, guidelines. And that's just kind of what you come up with. Yep, exactly. Shall we move on to a text now? Yes, let's do that. Eddie from orange. And that's a text that said, why does the PAC 12 worry about the long-term effects of COVID-19, but not care about CTE? CTE effects much are, are much more dangerous for the students than COVID, but the seasons weren't canceled for that. They mitigate, they can mitigate risk for CTE. If the PAC 12 has any consistency, they would cancel football forever for health concerns. Well, I mean, CTE isn't contagious, but that's certainly there's, there's risk. There's risks doing just about anything. Right. And mm -hmm. I think, you have risk playing football that players know about uh, with, with CTE. And we don't understand everything about it, but I think we understand a lot. But you're not necessarily putting other people in danger by you playing football. I mean, you could hit somebody and hurt them, but 
the the contagious aspect of it, I think, is where things go, that's where it comes into play. Where it's not just what if the whole football team got COVID and none of them were sick, but then they went home, their parents or their coaches, and that you you're you're talking about protecting society, right? You're trying to protect society. It's not just about uh, you know you and your teammates. I mean, you're going to be out there in the world. You're going to the grocery store. And you get the old lady sick that's buying uh, peppers, you know, like that's the kind of thing that you want to have to avoid. So I, I don't see those as, uh, you know, as something where it's like one or the other. I mean, there's there's definitely you try to do risk mitigation at all times, but the the medical experts just didn't know enough about what the long term effects could be with uh, cardio, uh, what um, myocarditis. myocarditis and uh, and all of that. So I think it makes sense. And the end, and the other day. They might have been fine playing. Like we just don't know. But you you kind of understood the reasons why. I just wouldn't compare it to something like CTE. Yeah, and I also think it just speaks to as a society we are much more instantaneous and we are e- able to grasp more tangible things. And the problem with CTE is you don't really see the effects until a football player gets later into their life, and then it, you can only really diagnose it post uh, humusly when they die. So it, you won't be able to see. It's not like you can do myocarditis, you can do a, a, a echocardiogram and see the effects. You can't do that with the brain. So I think the fact that if you were able to see, test everyone in, in the in college player in the country and see, oh man, there are tons of effects on their on their brains. And so we need to stop. I think that is a different uh, category than I think we're just seeing the effects much later and we don't see the the cause and effects really close to actual playing football. So it's just different. Uh, does that make sense, Ryan? No, it does. And and I the problem is like, what if they did some kind of study and they're like, oh yeah, myocarditis is like five oh, percent of people, their heart will become enlarged and it will like shorten their lifespan by 15 years. You know, like, oh, okay, well, we didn't know that. Um, now it's like, so the risk of getting this, you know, virus that doesn't get you really sick, but you have this side of side effect could really impact a lot of people. And if you don't know there's certain people that would impact more than others, like say anyone with asthma or something. It might be a thing where, okay, well, if you have asthma, you can't really play college football right now. But you have to really understand, uh, you know, what those long-term effects are. And I think that was the problem is there's so much uncertainty. Yeah. The Pac-12, the Big, the Big Ten didn't know. And they decided, well, we don't know enough about this, so we're going to back off. And then the SEC and the ACC and the, and the Big 12 are sort of like, we don't know enough about this, but we don't think it's as bad, so we're going to go forward until we do know more. Um, we know a lot more, I think about CTE and, uh, it's a decision. We're seeing a lot of parents keeping their kids out of football and I don't know, it might look a lot different 25 years from now, but there's still people that understand it and are, and are still willing to play. Um, you know, despite the fact that there could be these, you know, serious issues if you do get a bunch of concussions. Yeah. And and to your point, Ryan, it's a decision you make personally, you playing football doesn't mean that you now spread CTE to your grandma and to your immunocompromised family member. It's you and you only. So I think that's why there's a little bit more leeway because it's ultimately up to your decision. Whereas with COVID-19, we don't know the long-term effects, but you also may unknowingly spread it to people who could pass away or have serious effects. So I think yeah. that's why it's much more serious in that sense as well. Um, yeah. We have an email from John in Oakland, California, who says, "Hello, Parastyle Podcast. The Pac-12 and the Big Ten, or Big Twelve, excuse me, appear to be in the same college football lifeboat. 
Actually, he meant Big Ten. <laughs> I'll yeah. at different ends given the mess that the Big Ten has made of its postponement decision. Do you know if the two conferences uh, have had any talks on working together on a spring football season? For example, both playing an eight-game conference-only season, conference championship games, and then a semi-Rose Bowl between the two conference champions and a separate semi semi-Alamo Bowl uh, game between the two second-place teams in the conferences. Your thoughts? Fight on, John, from Oakland, California. Hey, thanks, John. So we talked about this uh, with Bruce a little bit. And I, to my knowledge, there hasn't been, uh, there certainly hasn't been enough communication between uh, the different conferences. I think, you know, even though the Big Ten and Pac-12 announced, you know, within an hour of each other, I do feel like those were both independent decisions. Um, You know, I think there's more time now. And especially if football is played in the fall, it would behoove both the Pac-12 and the Big Ten uh, to work together to come up with something cool because they're not going to be included in the playoff. I mean, we mentioned the Heisman. Maybe that might not be around. Yeah. Uh, will the AP poll rank you know, the, the teams from the Big Ten and the uh, Pac-12 and the Mountain West and the other conferences not playing? I think they would do something like that. I think you could get a coach's poll. I think the Bulls, which are independent entities, would be interested in doing something like that. And it might only be something where, all right, we're going to play division games only and then have like a sort of like mini tournament, like maybe the top four teams, you know, one plays four, two plays three, and then the winner plays for the conference championship games. So you have like a mini playoff within your conference. Uh, you're getting an opportunity to play two people from uh, the other side of the division. And then the winner of those two mini conferences, you know, mini tournaments for the Big Ten and the Pac-12 play the Rose Bowl. And uh, I think the Rose Bowl would be willing to do something like that. You talk to other people, the, the the people that run the Alamo Bowl. I mean, they might have a game in the fall, but then they get to have another one in, in March or, or April, something like that. I think all of those are possible. And like Bruce said, it's more likely we're going to see spring football if the SEC and the ACC, if they're successful and they have a season, then it's really hard to argue, well, they can have one now, but we can't have one four months later. Like, no, I think if you start seeing them play football, then you can ramp things up. And I know there's more challenges in the Big Ten with the weather, but yeah. you could start your fall camp in December. So, like, you're ready to go in January, like starting games in mid-January or late January or something. Uh, I think that becomes a lot more feasible if the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 uh, play. So, yeah, I think you could have some fun with it. And knowing that it's a throwaway season as far as eligibility goes, giving these players some sort of opportunity to play, uh, I think would even help with roster management, where if you're a senior and you wanted to play your senior year and you're, you know, you're a bench warmer or whatever, you're just not that involved. Does the, would the school Keely really want them to stick around if they're just, they're a senior that's not really contributing, but if they get an opportunity to play in some games and they do get somewhat of a senior season, they might be more willing to just kind of move on and, and you know open that scholarship up for somebody else. Um, yeah. So I think there's some great opportunities there to play in the spring. And it, I think it would help a lot. It would sort of help mitigate the perception, at least, that the, the Big 12, I mean, the Big 10 and the Pac-12 just don't care as much. I think that would show that it, you know they do care. They were just trying to do what was best for the players and be safe. Yeah, and especially if the three conferences play, that would just put revenue-wise so much pressure on the Pac-12 and Big Ten to then figure out a way to do it because now 
someone else has figured out and you're you're bleeding out money so you better find out how to to make up that money in that sense but you know how um if there's like a penalty on the play and the quarterback just chucks the ball because you know it could come back anyway I feel like just just do whatever you want in spring have some fun with it kind of like if you create a weird post-game playoff type of thing between the Big Ten and the Big uh, the Pac-12, just just go for it. Why not? You know, <laughs> This is kind of a, a free season to, to see what could work because otherwise the fall season is very regimented. We know what it comes with it. Why not like have some fun things happen? <laughs> I love that. That's a great analogy, Keely. The well, free you. play. It's like yep. the, the defensive end jumps off sides. Off sides, like, yeah. Do I want to dump it off to the – hell no. I'm throwing this downfield like, I'm on raw, where are you? All right, I'm the – Quadruple covered. Yep. I'm throwing it to you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, who cares what happens? Oh, you get pass interference or he makes a crazy catch. Um, this is totally like if the SEC and the ACC and the big 12 play, basically you got someone jumping off sides. You're like, all right, well, they're already playing. If we can't play four months later, that's a, that's an us problem. That's not a virus problem. So let's do it and have some fun with it. Yeah, so so that's my idea. Just why not why not see what new things you can institute by just messing around with it? Because you're the two conferences that didn't play. <laughs> I like that. So you got to write a story now. The uh, to, oh, you know, free play. The free Kill play. Free play. <laughs> Does that mean I can be the czar and and make up what they should do? The two conferences should do. I like it. Yeah, you, well, I mean, come up with your own proposal. You know, like I wow. There you go. An article coming to you soon. <laughs> Our final question is from Steve and Poway, who says, uh, during the mid-90s, there was a USC ten- tennis player, he forgot his name, and he thinks it's Mehmet, uh, from Thailand, who in the summer after his freshman year earned over $100,000 at a tennis tournament and decided to take the winnings, which meant that he had to end his amateur college play. That has made me consider the following proposal. What if the NCAA forced students to make a choice be- between either, one, a full-ride scholarship, as they have now, or, two, taking the earnings from their NIL and using that to pay their own way through college, still maintaining their college eligibility? That way, a student like Trevor Lawrence, who could literally earn millions of dollars for being an influencer on social media, would not take away that scholarship money from the university, and the university would be able to give that scholarship money to someone else, perhaps even another athlete in another sport who otherwise does not have a scholarship. Your thoughts on this? P.S. I still think NLI, NIL sorry, is opening a can of worms. Maybe at least this way the worms can feed the other quote-unquote birds at the university. Steve and Poway fight on in fall 2021. So Steve is still going on his fall-only uh, prediction. Right. Sorry, Steve, but that ain't happening, bud. Uh, I don't see why you have to choose. Um, yeah. So I think the choosing has to – and I don't remember the tennis player either. I tried to do a quick Google search, but uh, – I didn't, uh, I didn't, nothing really came up that I saw right away. But, um, so for me, the scholarship issue, Keely, and you know, they, it comes to like, well, if you make the player an employee, does their scholarship, you know, do you have to not give them a scholarship, but you pay them money that they pay out for the scholarship. They pay, they basically pay their own tuition. They got to pay taxes on it and all that kind of stuff. Or would their scholarship come and, and, and count towards their income. So they would have to get paid more money to pay the taxes. I, I mean, I think there's complications when you're talking about making a, a student athlete, a college football player, an employee. In this case, for name, image, and likeness, you're not doing anything else. You got a full ride scholarship. Like if you're, if you got a full ride because you're a great uh, viola player. Um, and then when you went home over the summer, you taught like, you know, 
viola lessons or whatever, uh, you can do that. Like you, you have scholarship to USC because you're this amazing viola player, uh, viola player. Did I say that wrong? Viola. viola, yeah. viola. Did I say viola? I you said viola and I think it's viola. <laughs> Is that? Okay. Whatever. Um, We'll say violin. We'll do that. Whatever. <laughs> sure. Or you play the the the, uh, the oboe. Whatever it is. But <laughs> you're doing. Well, you're really good at it. This instrument. You can go home and give lessons, or have like a you know, you have a seminar, or make a YouTube channel and show everyone how good you are at playing the oboe. Um, any of that stuff. Like you can do that, but you can't in college football. So for an, for name, image, and likeness. I would think about more that everyone's thinking about like sponsorship stuff. I try to think about it as what are the Olympic sports people do? So you're a great swimmer. You go home and you have, uh, the, the Keely, your, you know, swimming clinic in your hometown and wow. people pay money to go to your clinic. And so you're making money off your name, image, and likeness. That's you. Like you are this USC swimmer that's what Olympic medal or whatever it is. And now you can go home and make money because of that. Right now, you're not allowed to. You can't make, you're the long snapper from USC that can do the trick snap. I forget who was the, I forget who it was that was doing the trick shots and everything. He was a uh, long snapper from the yeah. previous one. Uh, I yeah. forget what, but he came in, he came in, he was going against like Peter McBride. I'm blanking on his name right now. And Peter McBride had this, the, uh, he was given a scholarship by Lane Kiffin and sort of got like the yips. And wasn't really snapping all that well. And then the walk-on kid, and I'm so sorry I forget his name. He was a cool kid. Um, he came out of high school doing all these trick shot videos. So he would like snap it through, like a a car would be driving by, and he would snap it. It would go through the window, in the w- one side of the window and out the other side, and into a trash can. Like he did a lot of cool stuff like that. But he wouldn't be able to make money off of those videos because. He's a college football player, and that's, you know, you're not allowed to make off your name image like this. So long story here, Stephen Poway. I'm not thinking of it that way. You don't have to separate. You can still be on full scholarship. Just do things out of, you know, on your own. And, you know, the fact that you're a USC football player doesn't, uh, you know, prevent you from making money by doing things. Yeah, if, if you're going to pay Trevor Lawrence like $500,000 to be a, spokesperson for some Jeep dealership. Okay. I get, that's what most people are thinking of. I'm thinking about most of the rest of the population of the cultural, but that's just the random rare person that that happens to, uh, you know, you're Jordan Iosefa and you go back to Hawaii and have some kind of football clinic and you made a thousand dollars. Like that's pretty cool. He can't do that right now. You know, he's not a big name guy, but if he could do that, I think that helps everyone and it doesn't hurt the schools. Like the schools aren't paying out money. It's really just allowing those players to say, Hey, I have some skills and, and I'm, it's helping that I'm at this high profile school, but also like, that's about me and that's what I do. And so let me make some money off of it. And in most cases, it's not going to be, you know, uh, it's going to be above board. I think in most cases now it could get out of control with some of the high profile programs and five-star recruits and all that kind of stuff. But I think in general, NIL will fix a lot of the problems, sort of like what Keeley's question alluded to uh, with Bruce. Yeah, that's a great point, Ryan. And also the thing with Steve's proposal is that it's a huge liability. What if you get injured? So now you can't play. You're not the star you were. And at some point, do you, are you, do you run out of money to pay your way through college? It seems like a very steep decline that you could have if somehow you get injured in a way that you can't return or return to what you were, you know? Yeah. And, and it's not, 
when you're talking about scholarship money, and I guess it depends who you talk to on this, Keeley, but it's not like Clemson is going, oh, crap. Uh, let me open the cash register. We need uh, $48,000 for Trevor Lawrence's uh, tuition this month. Like, no, like that's not how that works. Now, the main thing is it counts against your your number, right? That's where most people, like it's not necessarily about what money does it cost to have Trevor Lawrence. What, whatever it costs, it he covers, you know, he pays for himself and and everyone else pretty, pretty much just by him being who he is. Like you, you don't have to worry about the literal cost of what his scholarship costs the university. Um, it, I just don't see that as being as big of a deal, like for someone like that. So if you're worried about the dude that's going to make millions off his you know, name, image and likeness, well, I, so he should, she should, he shouldn't get his free scholarship. Like that's just, that's like pennies on the dollar. Like he pays for himself like a thousand times over. So that's another thing I really wouldn't be worried about. Yeah. And you were thinking of Zach Smith, I believe, Ryan. Zach Smith. Yes. Uh, Zach Smith, super cool dude. Um, and yeah, he had that, uh, the, go look it up. Look Zach Smith uh, YouTube uh, video. He had a snapping video and stuff. But yeah, remember he ended up, I think he ended up getting on scholarship, but he beat out like the scholarship snapper, which just a side note, like one of those things where you're like, I don't know why you're giving like snappers scholarships out of high school when you just get a few walk-ons and who's best. And if you want to give them a scholarship, that's fine. But you don't necessarily have to recruit them because you could recruit a scholarship one and find a better walk-on just as easy. Yeah, there's always been some interesting special teams scholarship issues. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. And so even now, so looking at, you guys should check out, uh, I did a piece on, um, what's it called, on the roster management. Because mm-hmm. if you look at what's going on with the rosters, it's essentially, we talked about this with Bruce, it's essentially everything gets frozen, right? So there's, you have right now 25 incoming freshmen. It was going to be 26. And this helps USC that they only signed a, a 12-person class. The 13th person, uh, Jack Yeri, uh, he didn't sign. So where did he end up at Washington? Is that where he went up? Or I believe so. I that's think... where he was photographed in that uniform. But I don't know if that's like official, official. Yeah, I don't know if it's official. But there's a bunch of uh, – so I think there's 13 redshirt freshmen plus 12 incoming freshmen. Well, those guys – those incoming freshmen don't get a season, right? Uh, maybe they'll get something in the spring. But either way – Everyone that's a, a retro freshman or a true freshman now, if they play in 2020 in the spring for the 2020 season or not, they stay in that status. Like 2021 rolls around, they're still Parker Lewis is still a true freshman kicker. Um, you know, Max Williams is still a redshirt freshman cornerback. Everyone's eligibility essentially, the way I understand it, it all freezes. Well, you have 80 players on scholarship right now, you're gonna bring in a bunch more in 2021. Mm-hmm. So how does that work? Well, all of the seniors won't count. So they don't raise the 85 limit. They just say all your seniors aren't going to count. So USC has Michael Brown and Damon Johnson on scholarship. They're redshirt seniors right now. Well, if they play in the spring or not, those guys can both come back and play in 2021. So if USC brings in like 21 more guys or 20 more guys, like you would essentially have 105 guys on scholarship, which is cool. But the weird thing is what happens after that. Cause the seniors move on and then everyone advances. The juniors become seniors, the sophomores, but, but your freshman class will have two incoming. You have the red shirts from the 2019. You have the incoming freshman from 2020 
And then you have the incoming freshman from 2021. Wow. It's going to be this enormous class that could be like 40, 50 dudes. Um, I mean, there's 25 right now. If USC brings in 25, you could have a 50-person freshman class. So how does that work? Well, I mean, I, unless a bunch of guys transfer, a bunch of guys go to the NFL, uh, they, they will, you know, technically, you know, you could have a guy like Keaton Slovis go pro because it would be his third year. 2021 would be his third year out of high school. I mean, so you could, you could have guys that are true sophomores, you know, end up going pro, um, you know, true sophomores for 2020 end up going pro because it'll be their third year. Uh, you know, so you might have some guys leave early, but I think you're gonna have to run off some dudes. It's gonna be, I mean, roster management's gonna be a, a real thing because there's just no way you could have that many guys on scholarship. If you did, you would never be able to bring in a recruiting class for 2022 because mm-hmm. there'd just be too many dudes already. Yeah, and it's really interesting considering that, <laughs> no offense to USC's talent pool, but I guess in previous years, I don't think you would worry about size as much because you'd have the the adorees the jujus and the schusters who would leave earlier whereas i feel like this talent pool is one that needs to be developed more and stay around longer which doesn't help usc in that sense yeah um i you know i think time's gonna tell if that the really bad recruiting class uh for 2020 ends up being like a benefit or not like <laughs> that's not what only i would that it's like not only that it's small and it might that might have saved Clay Helton, right? Like having that like this, if you end up being uh, getting a throwaway class where some guys just realize like, you know, I am not this caliber of a player, I'm gonna move on or transfer or medically retire and still be able to get a degree, but I won't count towards a scholarship. Um, I mean, it, and essentially, Clay Helton got a do-over. Like you can your 2020 and 2021 classes can almost be like squished together and like combined and then yeah could you i don't it'd be hard to get rid of guys but there's ways to get rid of guys even though everyone you know it's a four-year thing now but you can talk to players you're like yeah this isn't going to work out do you want to stay here for the next four or five years and never play or do you want to try to go somewhere and uh and, and play so it, well, well, sorry, Raymond, but what's no, weird is you, you would essentially, USC would essentially want to have what they had with the 2016 recruiting class where, I mean, how many of those guys actually ended up staying? I mean, it was just a couple at that point. Like, there's, they've transferred out, they've they've medically retired. Like, almost USC would want, I mean, this is, I feel like it's, like, hard to say this because these are real athletes, but you would want that type of class to happen again so, to help your roster, you know? You would want those guys to kind of find a way to to see themselves out. Yeah, and and the difference there was those were really highly ranked guys, and you know True. some of them didn't pan out. They transfer, they get in trouble, whatever. This would be a case where you know you brought in six like three star offensive linemen. Um, if a couple of those guys just are like, yeah, you're if this is not going to work out, I don't know. I mean, who knows? It's hard to say. Like everyone's different. Um, yeah, they have eighteen guys committed. The plan was to sign a full class. They might sign less just because you know even though you could sign. Um, you know, right now, if there's no more attrition and there will be, uh, you could sign 21 guys and then still get to 85 for 2021. Uh, but you know, then you're making your freshman class 46 dudes. And I don't know if you want something that big. So they might, this might impact things where you don't sign as big of a class that you normally would have. And Bruce mentioned this too. You don't got as much tape on these guys either because mm-hmm. you know, the, the recruiting dead period has been forever. 
now USC's class is ranked way higher. They got some better dudes. You would want the 20, if you had to pick one, you'd pick the 2021 class. Um, but maybe it's some combination and I, I don't know. I mean, there's, we've seen guys come in and like medically retire, which for them, if they don't want to play college football or if they're, you know, they just want to get their degree, that's a great, it works out for everybody. They keep their scholarship and it doesn't count, you know, so it's like they're off the books and they can still get their USC degree. They can still be around the team and things like that, but they're just not playing anymore. I don't know. I mean, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, a USC source told me like, you know, roster gymnastics and, and Bruce liked the mm-hmm. term. And I think that's what we're going to be seeing. We don't have to worry about that now, uh, but for going forward, yeah, it's going to be kind of crazy. Well, that's the thing I keep saying is the ripple effects from the pandemic and what it's done to college athletics is going to be so interesting to see. Like, as Bruce mentioned, like, do we see less sports and sports programs in general? Does he, not maybe USC, but the other programs go the Stanford route where you don't see as many uh, sports. And what does this mean for rosters? What does this mean for talent development? You know, players who California players who had to sit out a whole year. What does that mean for their overall skills? Rather, if they had to, they got to play in 2020. I mean, it's fascinating in like a non-emotional way to, to see how, how the, the pandemic will affect all of these things. Yeah. It's there's going to be a ripple effect. There's no question. And there, you know, we don't know how it's going to be changed for potentially forever. It's going to be very, yeah, potentially very different. All right. Well, we got one last voicemail. I don't know how we got off on that, tangent, <laughs> but you know, it's a very Dan worthy tangent. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Good. In his honor. Yeah. Uh, all right. Here's the last one. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley again. While we're waiting for some kind of football, I really love the watch parties that we did, but you missed the game. Why don't we do a watch party for the last exciting Rose Bowl that we won? Or is politics stopping us from doing that? From Moreno Valley. I, okay. I try not to stay up on politics, Keely, but like, is there some political reason why we wouldn't talk about the Sam Darnold Penn State Rose Bowl? I don't think there I is. Don't, I don't think so either. Maybe just because it's Clay Helton. I don't know. I mean, credit for Curtis thinking that we have enough organization that we would think to do the the Rose Bowl and then say no because of some external reason. We just didn't think about that. <laughs> we did it. And to, I'll give you a curse. I'm going to level with you as level <laughs> as I can lovely be like, yes, we don't have football to cover. We're getting as creative as we can and creating content. Those things were cool. I like doing them, but they were a pain in the ass to put together. <laughs> and it was just, not, it was like, you have a lot, a lot of work for something pretty neat. But you feel like you can put like some decent work and get like three things that are better. You know what I mean? Like that would go like, you know, bring a little bit more to our audience. So it's not like we didn't like doing them, like to get everyone together and then you get a guest and to get it all working uh, live and showing this game. Like, yes, there's there's a lot of it was pretty complex. It was cool. And you could definitely argue we should do them again. And that was a great game to do. But it really just was sort of like, yeah, do I want to set that up again? That's such a pain in the ass. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was a feat by you, Ryan. I don't know how you – it was the beginning of quarantine, so I think you were a little bit more bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. You were just ready to, to pull off whatever you could. But it was a feat that you pulled off. But for me, like when we watched the Orange Bowl, 
for some reason, everyone watching the game, they were very clear in my picture, but then your like relaying of the game was super blurry. So I had to like see what the little figures were. So it's not an easy thing to do for sure. No. And, uh, you know, if, if we were in the same room, but that obviously then it makes it, we wouldn't be in the quarantine if that was happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, that could be, but Curtis, I'll let you know, um, there is a project in the works and it's going to go over, it'll be video form and a podcast form. And it probably will be coming out the next few weeks. I can give you more details later, but there's going to be uh, like a half dozen or so USC traditions that will be going over and also like a half dozen or so games. And that game as of right now is on the list. So uh, I'll just tell you, stay tuned for that. And uh, we'll let you know more uh, of that coming forward, but it should be fun. Akili doesn't even know what I'm talking about. I, think, so. <laughs> I was about to say news to me. So I'll, interesting. yeah, I'll tell her, uh, off. I think I might've mentioned something about this, but we're, it's, it's a project that I've been working with some people uh, and we'll, it's coming together. So that I'm game interested. political or not will be uh, discussed or shown or talked about. So stay tuned for that, Curtis. Wow. Well, I'm ready to wrap this pot up so I can get the real scoop. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, I might be able to say, I don't know. I'm just not going to say it now because I, I, they haven't no, said, yeah. they don't say anything, but yeah. uh, I'll let you know the people I'm working with and all that stuff and it should be kind of fun. But yeah, we have to get creative during this, uh, you know, the, the, the pandemic and, you know, having uh, Alicia Jessup on last week and uh, Alicia, Alicia, I keep, Alicia screws me up because I, like, I would always say Alicia. But then now I have to say Alicia for our friend and now, but it's Alicia's like the more normal, quote unquote, normal. Oh, normal. Sorry. <laughs> Everyone Sorry, has Alicia. their own ways of saying the name. Right. But that. it screws me up now, like to say Alicia, the red, the red, like the quote unquote, well, whatever. The way I was used to, <laughs> not the normal. Way. You kept flipping back and forth in the podcast. So it was interesting to hear which one your mouth was going to go for like, each like time. Groups. Yeah. Yeah. Sort it's it's like hard. Better. Oh. I like having Bruce on today. So, we, you know, it's been, we'll keep trying to do that. We're lucky enough that we, we have a lot of contacts in the college football world. We can bring you guys more of a national perspective on what's going on, how it affects USC. So we'll, we'll keep trying to do that. If you have any, you know, suggestions, you can always email them to us or text us or leave us a voicemail or leave, you know, on the Apple podcast, leave a, some comments there about what you'd like to see. We'll do our best to incorporate that. Yep. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. That is Keely Yor. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks to our guest, Bruce Feldman. And thanks to all of you for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. 
What brings you to the shed? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.